0: This is TanakhCast. Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 13, the Bar Mitzvah episode, Genesis chapters 44 through 47. And now, for the conclusion of... Yosef Yosef and his and His Brothers! So Yosef instructs his steward to fill his brother's packs and return their money again. But this time, the steward is also to slip Yosef's silver goblet into Benyamin's pack. The next morning, the brothers depart at daybreak. And Yosef gives them a bit of a head start before sounding the alarm. Someone, Someone has stolen has Yosef's, stolen Yosef's goblet. goblet. And that's the last you're going to hear of that sound effect for at least four minutes. So, when the brothers are apprehended, they deny the charges, so sure that the goblet is not in their possession that they will forfeit the life of the thief and submit the rest to enslavement if the goblet is found in their packs. But when the goblet is found in Binyamin's pack, they rend their garments and they return to Egypt, preparing for the worst. When they arrive, Yosef confronts them. But Yehuda steps up, asking to speak to Yosef privately, where he unfolds the sad tale of Yaakov's sons. From Rachel and how the eldest was torn to pieces and the lanes Yehuda has gone with Yaakov to guarantee Benjamin's safety in Egypt. But this proves to be too much for Yosef, who sends away his servants before bursting into tears and declaring, I am Yosef, is my father alive? But, the text recounts, his brothers were not able to answer him, for they were confounded in his presence. Yosef attributes his being sold into slavery as part of God's grand plan to place him in Egypt so that Yosef could save his family, and a lot of other people, from starvation. When Par'ol hears of this most happy reunion, he gifts Yaakov and his household land in Goshen and urges them to relocate there. When Yaakov hears that Yosef is alive and reigning in Egypt... He makes haste to get down there. On the way in Beersheba, he dreams, and God tells him not to be afraid that he will descend into Egypt, become a mighty nation, and quote, I myself will bring you up, yes, up again. Chapter 47 describes how Yosef cleverly concentrates all of the wealth in Egypt into the hands of Paro, reducing the population into sharecroppers. And the Egyptians say, You have saved our lives. May we find favor in my Lord's eyes. We will become servants to Paro. If only all the exploited masses worldwide were as grateful about being oppressed. So, there's a lot to talk about in this week's portion. Let's get to it. I want to talk about two things this episode. What folks in the biz call the big reveal. Or depending on the size of that reveal, simply the reveal, or depending on how telegraphed it is in advance, the Captain Obvious reveal. And I want to talk briefly about the concluding chapter in this week's portion, the part where Yosef practically enslaves all of Egypt to par But first things first. In his Poetics, Aristotle wrote of anagnorosis, which literally means discovery. This is a moment where a character undergoes, quote, a change from ignorance to knowledge, producing love or hate between the persons destined by the poet for good or bad fortune. In the content of a tragedy, it happens when one discovers one's own identity or true character. Like Edmund, who discovers he's a bastard in Shakespeare's King Lear. And, I mean, like, literally a bastard. Like, he doesn't know who is. You know what I mean. Or Dr. Malcolm Crowe, who discovers that he's actually dead in The Sixth Sense. And for those of you that haven't seen The Sixth Sense by now, it's from 1999. That's like 14 years ago. And every film that M. Night Shyamalan has made has something like four reveals at the end. So, surprise! And you know, M. Night, he he became such a a reveal junkie that subsequent movies just kind of degenerated into what folks began calling shocking swerves which are basically reveals for the sake of reveals when you have nothing else going on. <laughs> and neurosis also happens when someone else's identity or true nature is discovered by the tragic hero, like Lear, who realizes that his daughters are complete jerks, or when Sam Emerson discovers his brother Michael is a vampire in the Lost Boys. You're creature of the night, Michael. Just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael. My own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. The reveal changes the nature of the plot, often pushing it from suspense towards action. So like in in Star Trek Into Darkness, John Harrison is actually, wait for it, Khan Noonien Singh from the original series episodes Space Seed and Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. I shall leave you as you left. A good reveal also creates a new set of questions and further suspense. In The Big Lebowski, for example, we discover that Bunny wasn't really kidnapped, nor held for ransom, but that she left to visit friends without telling anyone, and that Lebowski gave Walter and the dude a suitcase full of crap, knowing full well that they would screw up the negotiations for Bunny's release, and then he could blame them for losing the money and cover up an embezzlement scheme. On some occasions, the reveal prompts romance, as in the movie Highlander, where Connor McLeod reveals that he's immortal to the forgettable action movie love interest, whose name I don't remember and I don't really care, by stabbing himself in the chest. And of course, she is smitten immediately. But if you let the audience know way early or completely telegraph the reveal, then it's what's known as a Captain Obvious reveal. And in a sense, the Tanakh is, or should be, all about the Captain Obvious reveal. It wouldn't work effectively as a collection of teachable moments if it was somehow obscure, esoteric, or surprise-ending-y. Or the reader had to work really hard at figuring out who Kaiser Soze really was. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, he's gone. I mean, how else could midah, keneged, midah work if we were always wondering about where the second midah was, or how it fit in with the first midah, or how the keneged balanced them fairly? And not to worry, if we missed it the first time around, there are legions of commentators who are there to help make the opaque more clear. As an aside, I'm not a New Testament scholar, nor am I a Christian, but I can only imagine how frustrating it must have been for Jesus who was dropping these amazing, you know, seemingly straightforward parables in the people, and no one seemed to understand them. I mean, not even the disciples who were supposed to pass on the good word to others. So, from a dramatic storytelling perspective, something very interesting happens in this part of the Yosef story. In many of the stories, now let, let me amend that, practically all of the stories we have encountered so far, the default perspective, the point of view which the text wants us to embrace, has always been that of the protagonist, right? We, we feel bad for Adam and the woman when their Edenic time ends, due in no small part to the machinations of the snake. We root for Noah and his ragtag menagerie on the Ark. We root for Avraham and Sarah, and even for a moment, Hagar, when she is sent off in the desert with her son to, to basically die. We, we root for Yaakov when he schemes to defraud his brother and father. We continue to root for him when he schemes to defraud his father-in-law. And we even root for Yosef, when he lords over his brothers and finds himself stripped and bloodied at the bottom of a well. But since the beginning of chapter 42, which we discussed in the previous episode, there's a subtle yet profound shift. Like Western journalists covering the war in Iraq or Afghanistan, we are now embedded with the brothers and we live their reality, and so now we are necessarily and inevitably rooting for them. We experience their worry and fear of starvation, their terror at leaving Shimon hostage in an Egyptian prison, their awkwardness at returning to Yaakov to arrange Binyamin's passage down to Egypt. We experience this so when Yosef reveals himself, we can have that cathartic moment, that that moment of fear ratcheted up to an almost intolerable level, and then the immense relief when Yosef says, I am Yosef, is my father still alive? Because for us, the reader, there is no reveal, right? We are privy to Yosef's plot from the outset. We recognize Yosef while the brothers do not. In short, we know everything. Captain Captain Obvious. Obvious. Obvious! And yet, even though we know everything, we revel in that moment of reunion and that release of emotion. And Yosef just blubbers. He urges his brothers, which means, I guess, us, to come close and urges them not to dwell on the past. And then it was all part of God's plan for him to rise in prominence in Egypt so that he could save them and how they all have to move to Egypt now, to Goshen, to be near where Yosef will sustain them, us, them, and for the remaining five years of the preordained famine. And then there's this cryptic verse, chapter 45, verse 15, where Yosef then kisses all of his brothers and then, quote, After this, his brothers spoke with him. But before the text can specify what it is his brothers said, the news reaches Paro that Yosef has brothers and that the brothers are here in Egypt. We will address this matter more purposefully in the next episode. (music) And speaking of ominous... I wanna take a closer look at chapter 47 where Yosef virtually enslaves all of Egypt to Paro and he does so in the context of a crippling famine. Let's not forget that. Now, I suppose one could say that Yosef, even as Egypt's number two was just following orders, the grain he sold to starving men, women and children was not his, it was Egypt's and perhaps had the grain been his, he would have given it away. And the profits he reaped from selling food to desperately hungry people wasn't his either. So, would that make Yosef more or less morally questionable than, say, an executive at Goldman Sachs who reaps millions of dollars in profits from peddling mortgage-backed securities that, you know, he himself knew was shitty and crappy. Oh, sorry, the direct quotes was shitty and a crap pool. In both cases, the people on the receiving end of these deals ended up financially shackled except for a select few. Paro exempted two classes of people from this economic arrangement, Egypt's priests and the children of Israel. And one could say that the terms of this enslavement were pretty good. That is, you don't own your own land and you pay 20% tax, which is a much better deal than the millions of folks who work for minimum wage. And perhaps the Egyptian people acknowledge this in verse 25 when they tell Yosef, You saved our lives. May we find favor in my Lord's eyes. We will become servants to Paro. But then again, I'm reminded that this is all happening during a multi-year famine. Which, if that doesn't sound like duress, I, I don't know what is. Someday, another that day may never come, I'll call upon you to do a service for you. But uh, until that day, this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. But, but then again, you know, the famine came from God, and Yosef, using his God given oneromancer skills, saw it coming and made the appropriate plans. But regardless of how you slice this loaf of bread made from wheat you bought with your economic freedom, it resulted in a redistribution of wealth so dramatic that it would have made Newt Gingrich squeal with glee. And it's not for nothing that Balzac was paraphrased as saying, behind every great fortune, there is a great crime. As always, you can leave a comment, a question, or comment at the Facebook page. It's at facebook.com slash tanakhcast, T-A-N-A-K-H-C-A-S-T. Or at thenextjew.com or leave a comment, question, or quement at the iTunes store. And while you're at it, why not leave a review? That way, other folks who are looking for a little Tanakh learning might discover this humble podcast and join in the fun. As always... You're invited to come back and join us next week ish uh, for episode 14 on Genesis chapters 48 through 50. That's our last podcast about Genesis. Y'all come back now. Here.